Hey, welcome back to the Ascent Church Podcast. We have a great episode for you. So let's get to it. Well, good morning and welcome to Ascent. Happy Easter. Who's excited to celebrate the resurrection? All right, that's pretty good. I thought I was going to have to do it twice. Uh, You guys are on top of it, though, because you got a little extra sleep. Uh, You let all the nine people come and take your spot in that one. You guys got to sleep an extra 30 minutes this morning. Uh, So we're excited to have you. We had a great first service. I'm excited about this one also. This is what I do for a living, and this Sunday is like my Super Bowl. So this is, this is what it's all about. Every week we celebrate Easter. We just call it Easter once a year, and we celebrate why we do what we do, and that is the resurrection of Jesus. And I didn't make that up. The Apostle Paul says, if there's no resurrection, then we are to be the most pitied of all men. Why? Well, because we believe Jesus rose from the dead, we give our whole life to him as Christians. And so if that, that found out to not be true, we would have wasted our entire life on this side of eternity. And yet we know, we believe in faith that it is true, and we celebrate that today, that when the disciples arrived at the tomb, there was not a body there. And it wasn't because it got stolen, it was because the body had rose from the dead, and Jesus proved himself to be who he said he was. We're going to celebrate that today. Some of you guys are going to have to look a little bit happier as I say these things, (laughs) because it is that big of a deal. Now, we are going to be in Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. And we're actually finishing, for those of you who have been journeying along with us, Uh, through the Gospel of Mark, we're finishing that series today. And where we left off last time, it was chapter 14, and uh, Jesus had just had his final supper with his uh, disciples, you know, the the picture where they're all eating there around a a dinner table. It was nothing like the picture, as we talked about last week, but they're eating there. And then after that, Peter says, I will never betray you, Jesus. And Jesus says, oh yeah, you're all going to betray me. And Peter's like, I will die if I have to, but I will not betray you. And then literally like 10 minutes later, Peter's asleep while Jesus prays and he can't even stay awake to be with Jesus. And then Judas comes with the the Roman soldiers with a, a mob. They had clubs and swords and they come and they forcefully take Jesus away. He stands trial before the Jewish leaders and the Roman leaders. They convict him of blasphemy because he did things and said things that put him equal with God. And then our Savior was mocked by Criminals. He was mocked by soldiers. He was mocked by everybody, given a crown of thorns, put on a cross, nine-inch nails through both of his wrists and his feet. And the nails aren't what killed him. It was the suffocation. So that every time he would have to push up, it would tear more ligaments in his feet and his wrists until finally he gave his spirit. He didn't lose his life. He gave it. Because this was the God of the universe whose face they were spitting in. And he was strong enough to forgive them. He said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And then Mark includes this this really cool thing about when Jesus breathes his last. He says, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And then his very last words we know from the other gospels are, it is finished. And he breathes his last. And when he does, Mark tells us that the, the temple curtain, the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies, which is where God was and where the common people like you and I were supposed to stay because we weren't good enough, that temple curtain tore in half. Why? Because Jesus came to die and take my place so that when God looks at me, he doesn't see my sin. He sees the goodness and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that is excellent news for you and for I. Unless you're perfect here today. And if you're perfect, you got other problems and we're going to get you checked out. Because (laughs) Jesus has come for those of us who know we are sinners and need his help. Now, all of that is great, but none of it matters if the resurrection doesn't happen. In fact, in Jesus' time, there were hundreds of guys who would claim to be Messiahs. And they would, some of them would get a really big following, and people would come after them. But you know what would happen to these Messiahs is eventually they would 
die. And when they died, their movement died with them. And when Jesus died, many thought his movement had died also. And yet here we sit 2,000 years later on the other side of the world, worshiping the Savior. Why? Well, because he is risen. And today I want to talk to three of you, and they all start with S, because I'm a pastor and that's what we do on Easter. We, we make things line up like that. I want to talk to uh, the skeptic, I'm going to talk to the sinner, and I want to talk to the seeker today. Maybe you're here today and you're skeptical, like you don't believe in the science of this. It just doesn't seem possible that somebody actually rose from the dead. I want to talk to the sinner, those of you who feel you're not good enough, even if it is possible, even if it did happen, Jesus wouldn't accept you. And I want to talk to the seeker, those of you who, man, you want to know Jesus, you want to experience him, but if you're honest, you have not experienced his power. It's something that happened a long time ago, but it doesn't actually have an impact on your life today. So I'm going to pray, and we'll jump into Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. Father God, we uh, are so excited uh, that we get to celebrate today your goodness Lord, let us not forget your love for us, that you so loved the world that you gave your only begotten son so that whosoever believes can have eternal life. Lord, thank you that on the the third day, the grave was empty because your son had risen. And Lord, it is through Jesus we can find that same resurrection power in our lives. And one day we believe God through Jesus, we will be resurrected in the same way he was. This is our hope as Christians. This is what we hedge our life upon it's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. I want to give a hypothetical uh, situation for the guys in the room. Uh, and then I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to answer the question honestly. You're not going to offend me. So here's the hypothetical situation. You and I, we get in a fight, a fist fight. Uh, you, you make fun of my shirt or something. You're like, he's wearing roses. I don't like that. And you come tell me and I just snap and I punch you in the face. Uh, or you're like, you're one of those people who make fun of me for watching NASCAR. And, and really, this gets me close to punching somebody sometimes. <laughs> Because like 30 people come to me and say, another left turn, or quote Ricky Bobby or something. It makes me so mad. And so what I do is I just punch you right in the nose. Now, here's a question from a hypothetical situation. Guys, answer honestly. You're not going to offend me, okay? Uh, I, I want to know how many of you think, by a show of hands, you could beat me in a fight. If you and I got in a fist fight, okay, Rick A just raised his hand as high as he could, which is kind of offensive. This way. I don't think Garrett Owens sitting here on the front row. I didn't see him raise his hand. He could definitely take me out easy. Kim, we got uh, uh, girls can't play this game. No, that is not allowed. My wife was in the first service and I thought she was going to raise both hands. She's done it before. She'll do it again. You know, I, uh, I'm really not offended. I'm weak. I know that I, I am. Uh, I tried to uh, vape. I was trying to be a cool kid one time in high school and vaping first started. And uh, I literally had an asthma attack the first puff I did. <laughs> I got it, you know. But, but if we were to keep going with this hypothetical situation, my brother's back there. He better not have raised his hand. I could definitely take him still. <laughs> keep going with this hypothetical situation. Let's say all of a sudden you see me do something super amazing. Like there's a, there's a blind guy and I come and I touch him and he can see. Or there's a person who can't walk and I go and I help him and they stand up and they can walk. Or maybe you're at a funeral and everybody's coming and paying their visits, and I come up to the casket, and I touch this body, and all of a sudden the body wakes up. It's like, what's going on? You would be freaked out of your mind about me. It wouldn't matter what I looked like to you. You would all of a sudden say, maybe I can't take Blake in a fight. In fact, I want to make sure I'm really good friends with Blake. I want to be on Blake's team. Because if Blake can do that, I certainly don't want to be against him. And see, this is actually how it is with Jesus. This is the power of Jesus. 
In fact, in Isaiah, the, the prophecy tells us that Jesus wasn't something that you would look at and think was this amazing person. Jesus didn't look like he was extraordinary. But his disciples got to see him do things that were not ordinary. And, and I want to tell you, friends, you get to see Jesus in your life if you'll follow him do things that aren't ordinary. And I hate how in our culture, a lot of times we paint Jesus as this weak and frail guy. He's always pale, which is impossible because he lived in the Middle East. Definitely was not a white European. And in all the pictures, you know, he's kind of weak and fragile. And we just kind of have this picture of Jesus just, come here, children, come to me. He's so sweet and mild. But as we read the Gospels, yes, Jesus is compassionate, he's merciful, he's loving. But Jesus is not weak. He's a man of great power. He's a man who goes into the temple, flips over the tables, and drives out the money changers. He speaks to power. He goes to the Roman officials, and he doesn't blink an eye, even though he knows he's going to have to walk to the cross. And the strongest thing he ever does is sitting on the cross when he had the power with the snap of his fingers to blow the whole world up. And yet he sat there and he allowed these people he created, the people who he allowed to have breath in their lungs, spit in his face. He created the spit glands that they used to spit on him. And he was strong enough to sit there and die, not because he couldn't stop it, but because he wouldn't stop it for you and I. And you see, the greatest power that Jesus does is the resurrection. And I want to talk to the first of you who are skeptics. You're like, Blake, this all sounds so great, and I wish I could believe it. I wish it could count for me. But it's just hard for me to believe that this physically could have happened. And here's what I want to say to you who are skeptics. You're not alone. You're not new. In fact, Jesus' disciples were the very first skeptics. And we see that in Mark chapter 16, verse 1. None of them expected Jesus to rise from the dead. Look at this. Mark 16, beginning in verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, and the Sabbath in the the Jewish tradition still to this day is Saturday, so we're on Sunday now. Friday he died. Sabbath, his body rested as you're supposed to do on the Sabbath. And then the first day of the new week, when that day was over, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they could go and anoint him. They're going to embalm his body. See, in the Jewish tradition, you would uh, share a tomb with somebody else. So it was the kind thing to do to embalm the body so that it didn't smell bad when somebody else had to bury their loved one. And then after a couple of years or so, you would actually take the bones of the person and you'd give it the second burial. So his, these lady disciples, notice the men disciples aren't even there. They're checked out. They think it's over. Our Messiah died. So he's, he's not coming back. The ladies go and they're going to go anoint him. But they're not anointing him as a king who is risen. What are they doing? They're anointing him as a dead body. To which you and I can be very judgmental to the ladies on this and to all the disciples. Because if you read the Gospel of Mark, some of you have journeyed with us, you'll know that Jesus over and over and over again said, I'm going to die and on the third day I am going to rise again. Like just that simple and that clear he said it to them. So what we would expect is these ladies like going. Or you would at least expect one of the disciples to wake up on the third day and just go, you know, maybe that third day. I mean, I don't know. Maybe we should go check. Or, like, in my mind, I'm thinking all the disciples are going to be there on the morning going, Five, four, three, two, one, Jesus! But they're not there. Why? Because they saw with their own physical eyes, this man they followed for three and a half years die. His body lifeless, beaten. They were shook. Because this was supposed to go a different way. Jesus was the Messiah. He was supposed to ride into Jerusalem and go punch the Roman Caesar in the face and take over the world. But that's not what happened. He went, and it was like he went without even a fight. He allowed them to kill him. 
So their minds are shook. And it says in verse 1 that they had to buy the spices. Why would they have to buy the spices? Because they didn't expect it. It all happened so fast. They had to bury their Savior. Then in verse 2, it says, Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb at sunrise. And look at what their their big problem is, what they're thinking about. They're not thinking about, what if we get there and Jesus is is not there? No, in verse 3, this is what they're thinking. They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb for us? Looking up, they noticed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. So they go, and they're not thinking, yeah, Jesus might be there, but they, they arrive, and they're thinking, like, who's going who's gonna to move the stone for us? We couldn't get Peter out of bed to help us, so how are we going to do this? We hope somebody's there to help us move the stone. And we know that when they arrive and they see the stone move, their first thought wasn't, Jesus did rise. No, from the other Gospels, we know their first thought was, somebody stole the body. Who stole the, Who would do this to us? After all we've been through, somebody has to come and take his body from us. That is their very first thought. And maybe as a skeptic sitting here today, that's what your thought is too. Like, I don't know if that really happened. I don't know if somebody took his body or what happened. But what I want you to know is that we have more evidence that Jesus actually rose from the dead than we do that he didn't. And part of that evidence is who Mark names as the eyewitnesses. He names women. And you got to remember in the patriarchal society that this is written, women had no testimony power. Like if you brought a woman to you with court, they would laugh at you because she couldn't tell you anything. In fact, uh, you can look him up. His name is, is Celsus. He was uh, a Greek scholar right after the time of Jesus, and he hated Christianity. And he would argue against Christianity, and his main argument against Christianity was not anything you hear today. His main argument was that it was women who were the eyewitnesses. And he'd say to a room full of men, and we know women are delusional and emotional. <laughs> so they obviously couldn't have been the eyewitnesses to something that really happened. I, I'm not saying it. Celsus said it. Some of you guys are like going to come get me. It's a long time ago. That's what he said. And yet, so why would Mark, if he's making up a story, say that women were the eyewitnesses? He wouldn't. He's telling a story that actually happened. And we have all the evidence in the world to believe this. And you say, well, Blake, I just wish I could have seen it with my own eyes. And I would just say, you believe a whole bunch of stuff you don't see with your own eyes. For instance, I believe that the Titanic sank. I don't have any video footage of it, but I believe it to be true. Why? Because the evidence tells me it's true. And I would just say to you, the evidence of Christianity demands an answer. You're you're logically lazy if you don't. Because there was dozens of messiahs during Jesus' time, and we only remember one name. The name of Yeshua of Nazareth. Why do we remember that name? Perhaps because what happened actually happened. Perhaps because there was a dead man who is no longer dead. And here's what I'll say to you who are skeptics. Honestly, I believe that your skepticism is probably something that's a little bit deeper. I don't think it's actually skepticism that keeps us from following Jesus. But if it is, here's my challenge to you. Begin to follow him. Begin to do what he says to do. And just like these ladies who go to the tomb and they're wondering who's going to move it for them, you might have all sorts of objections. You say, Blake, I don't know how I'm going to get past this logical explanation. And I would just say, let God do what God can do. Follow him for a year and just see if the stone begins to move away. Just see if that stumbling block in front of you begins to move away as you begin to experience the person of Jesus. That he's not just somebody who rose from dead a long time ago, but he's still alive. And I believe you'll experience him if you go after him. That's my word to the skeptics. Next, I want to give a word to those of you who are sinners. I include myself in this crowd. Verse 5. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. They were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he told them. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's, okay, thanks, you know. <laughs> you 
You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they put him. What's interesting about this text is everybody assumes this is an angel, but Mark doesn't say that, does he? The other gospel writers tell us an angel, but Mark says a young man. And that's really important because it's actually a callback to what Mark said in chapter 14. Uh, in chapter 14, everything is falling apart on Jesus and his disciples. They, they've come to take him away. And in the commotion, Mark puts in this really random line about a young man. Look at what it says. Mark 14, verse 50 and 52. Uh, it says, Then they all deserted him and ran away. Now a certain young man wearing nothing but a linen cloth was following him. They caught a hold of him, but he left the linen cloth behind and ran away naked. What? Why do we got a random guy running butt naked in the middle of the story? You should ask that question when you're reading Bible. Mark put that in there on purpose. He wanted you to go, what? Because this young man shows back up. And you see, this is a great example for how a lot of us feel in, in church scenarios. We feel shame. We're afraid of being exposed for who we really are. And what we think is, is if I'm going to be a church person, if I'm going to come, it's going to be exhausting because I'm going to have to be a hypocrite. I'm going to have to fight with my wife on the way to church, and then I'm going to have to figure out how to put on a smile. I slapped my microphone. I forgot that was on me. Uh, I'm going to have to figure out a way to put on a fake smile so that I can be with these people and be a perfect person like everybody else around me. And that is an exhausting way to live, is it not? To be somebody that you're not. And see, what the gospel of Jesus says is actually the opposite. You don't come to me all perfect, all ready. You come to me butt naked running for your life. And we see here that he drops what? He drops a linen cloth. What is Jesus buried in? A linen cloth. He takes this man's shame on him. See, and he dies with that shame. And if I believe that to be true, if I believe Jesus has died for my shame, then the most dark parts of my heart I can expose to you freely. Because I believe Jesus has clothed me with new clothes. And we see, what has he done at the end in the tomb? This man is wearing white. It's the same clothing Jesus was wearing in the Mount Transfiguration scene where he's with the presence of God. See, Jesus takes my shame and he clothes me. Friends, look at me. If, if you are not coming to Jesus and following him because you feel like your sin has separated you too much from God, I want to tell you right now, you've got the whole gospel backwards. If you say, Blake, I curse too much to be around your church people too much. I'm going to say things I shouldn't say if I come. Or I still drink too much. Or I still, whatever it is. I would say to you, you don't come to Jesus cleaned up. You come to Jesus and then his love is what transforms you. Amen. Let us not forget the order of things here. And we, we see it continue in, in real life because look at this in verse 7. What Jesus, or what this uh, man says to them. He says, but go and tell his disciples and Peter. Remember, Peter is the guy who made a fool of himself. I will never betray you even if I have to die. Five minutes later, he's betraying him. <laughs> that guy, he's too far from the grace of God. But I love what Jesus tells this kid to tell, tell him. He says, the disciples and Peter. But like in other words, Peter's like, you guys go. I've blown it. I can't do it. You guys go. And Jesus knows he's going to do that. And he says, and you too, Peter, you jerk. Because <laughs> you're my jerk. There's nothing you can do to escape from my love. He invites Peter and he says, He is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. And if you're feeling overwhelmed by the weight of your sin today, you're feeling outside of the reach of God, I would give you the same challenge I gave the skeptic, and that is try. Follow God and see what happens. Come be a part of this family that we call church. Church is not a, a building. We meet in a bar. Uh, which is, I kind of enjoy that a lot. I went to prom on this dance floor. A lot of sinning going on. 
The church is a people. It's a family. Come experience the grace. See, in all the groups I do with guys, I tell them, I, tell, I try to tell them all the time, that my goal is not that we are perfect. My goal is that we are real. We're real with one another. Like, I would rather a guy come to me and say, Blake, I didn't read my Bible and I didn't pray 47 weeks in a row than you lie to me one time to make yourself look better. Because that making yourself look better stuff, that's, I, I don't have time for that. It's too exhausting. I can't do it. But that stuff where we're real with one another and you get to experience grace, that is transformative. And see, to do that, I have to believe that Jesus actually took my shame. And this is hard for me because I want to wear a mask so that I look good in front of you guys. And I'll just tell you, this week has been one of the hardest weeks of my entire life as I stand up in front of you. I have felt spiritually empty this week. Like God was a million miles away from me. I have felt emptied out. I have cried so much this week that, quite honestly, I didn't think I could cry anymore. I lost my grandfather, as some of you guys know, and I I preached his funeral, and and I I was exhausted, and I was burnt out. And I honestly was like, is there a way I can not show up on Easter Sunday? Just being real with you, that's where I was at some point during this week. You see, if you're looking for a pastor who's perfect, you're not going to find him here. Maybe one of these other guys will become a pastor one day, and they'll be perfect. But as long as this guy is pastor, there's a lot of stuff that is not perfect about me. And yet the reason I stand up here, even though every fiber in my being said don't stand up there because they might see your weakness, is that I believe Jesus is truly risen from the grave and I believe he truly took my shame and he bore it on the cross for me. That I've been made right with him and so whatever you guys think of me is fine. But here's what I also know. I know there's family members in here who are not blood family, but they're family of Christ Jesus and they don't care. They love me for who I am. That love is transformative, my friends. So we got our word to the skeptic. We got our word to the sinner. Here's my my last word, and it's a word to the seeker. Really, it's my word to everybody. Verse 8 is the end of the Gospel of Mark, and it's an awful ending. If you you like things completed, you're like, how many of you are like to-do list people? You feel good about checking something off? You're going to hate the end of Gospel of Mark. Because he doesn't doesn't finish the story. Verse 8, look at this. They went out and ran from the tomb because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them. And they said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. The end. Done. No, Mark. you got to tell us more. That's not even a happy ending. Like, you left us right there on a cliffhanger. And it, it was so hard to believe, in fact, that in the 4th century, uh, the church, some people in the church went back and they wrote an alternate ending to Mark. So if you read in your Bibles, it'll say, the following verses uh, are not included in most manuscripts, and then it'll give uh, verses 9 through 20. And we know they're not Mark, because it's like a kid who cheats on his test, and it's obvious they copy and paste it. Uh, because they don't even use the words that Mark uses. Uh, and so they try to add it on to, to soften Jesus' story. And this is, this is what I find interesting about it. I think the reason we do that and the reason we want the ending of the story to be there is because it terrifies us that it's not. The reason some of us don't really want to seek after Jesus is because we're scared of what might happen to us. See, I believe if Mark was standing here today and we said, Mark, you can't end the story like that. He would look at you and he'd look at me and he'd say this. He'd say, I know because the story's not finished. See, this isn't a novel that you read. This is an invitation to something Jesus is still doing right now. Amen. And by the way, friends, the reason this scares us is because we are afraid we might suffer the same fate Jesus suffered. See, there's this interesting scene in Mark chapter 10 where Jesus' disciples are coming to him and they're arguing about who is the greatest. And these two brothers come to him and they're like, hey, Jesus, come here. We got to ask a question. Uh, we want to call dibs on the seat to the right and to the left of your throne. Like, we know we're about to go in there and just really kick some Roman butt. And uh, 
When we do, and you have your throne, it's high up, you know, people serving you, you get to be the king, we know that, but we just like to be right and left of you, just right here. Jesus says, all right, all of you guys come here. He calls all of his disciples in and he says, you guys don't understand that my kingdom is different. See, in the kingdoms of the world, when you're great, when you're lifted up on a throne, people serve you. They rub your feet, they give you grapes. He said, that's fine, but that's not how it works in my kingdom. In my kingdom, those who are great are great because they serve. In other words, those who are at the bottom, those who pour their lives out for others, are actually the ones who are at the top of my kingdom. And he says, and for who's going to be my right and my left? Only God can decide that. And the disciples don't get it. They just keep arguing about who's greatest. They're like, Jesus, just stop with that stuff. Tell us who gets to be on your right and in your left. But we find out at the end of the gospel just how counterintuitive Jesus' kingdom is. I want to read it to you. Mark chapter 15, verses 24 through 27. It says, Then they crucified him and divided his clothes, casting lots for them to decide what each would get. Now, it was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The inscription of the charge written against him was the king of the Jews. Remember, we're talking about a kingdom. The king of the Jews is above his head. They crucified two criminals with him. And look at the language Mark uses intentionally. One on his right and one on his left. That in other words, yes, Jesus will be on a throne and he will be a king. But it's not what you think, boys. Because his crown is not made out of gold. It's made out of thorns. His throne is not lifted high above people. His throne is a cross in which he is crucified on. And the guys who are on his right and on his left, what are they doing? They're on a cross as well. If you want to be great, you're going to have to be like Jesus. You see, I think the real reason why we try to say, I don't know if I believe in the resurrection of Jesus scientifically, or we try to run from Jesus with our shame is because, quite honestly, we're afraid of what Jesus might actually call us to do. See, there's a, there's a comfortable Jesus that our society has, and, and this Jesus is just there to help make my life better. And that Jesus is okay, right? Like, as long as Jesus doesn't change the things I really want done in my life, that Jesus is okay. He's there to help me. But in the areas I don't like what he says about money or sexuality or any other thing that you find harmful about what Jesus says, you say, I'm just going to kind of ignore that part. And Jesus, you help my kingdom. But Jesus says, no, I am powerful. I am the God of this universe. And I did not come to make your kingdom better. I came so that you could serve my kingdom. It's an invitation to do what I'm doing. It's not me coming to make what you're doing better. You see, what most of us want is we want Jesus to make us more comfortable. And I, I can prove it to you because I, I would bet in my own life and probably in your life too, the majority of my prayers are prayers about Jesus either keeping me safe or Jesus getting me out of an unsafe situation. Right? Like, God, my kids are traveling. Please keep them safe. Or I'm going on a trip. Please keep me safe. Or the other side of that is when I'm on an airplane and we hit turbulence. Oh, God, save me. <laughs> That's when we tend to go to God. But what Jesus would say to us is it's not necessarily safe. In fact, if you are truly going to put Jesus in the center of your life, there's nothing that is safe. It's not safe. In fact, if you you put Jesus at the the center of your life, your money isn't safe. He might ask you to give the things you didn't think were possible. He might ask you to give up vacations. He might ask you to give up your house so that you can give more to the kingdom of God. He might ask you to buy a bigger house so that you can invite more people into your house for the sake of the kingdom of God. With God, your children aren't safe. Well, what happens if, if you come and you bring your children to a church gathering and you teach them the gospel and they come to know Jesus Christ and then God calls them to go across the world and preach the gospel to a tribe that is hostile towards Christians? What then, mama, dad, when your baby has to go because they follow Jesus? I don't like that. I want to be a dad one day and I don't like saying that. 
But I know that I'm not their king. Jesus is their king. Am I willing to bring my children to Jesus and say they're yours? They're not mine. With God, your secrets aren't safe. With God, your marriage isn't safe. I know right now in the world, you get to kind of bicker when your wife bickers at you and say, yeah, she deserves it and talk bad about her. But Jesus says, no, not in my kingdom. You're going to follow me. You're going to love her like I love the church. And boy, did I love the church. Gave my life for her as she spit in my face. With God, your bitterness isn't safe. You're going to have to say sorry to people you don't want to say sorry to. I hate when God does this to me. It happens all the time. I'll be, I'll be mad about something, about somebody, and then I'll hear kind of this whisper in the back of my voice, and, and it's like, ask them how they're doing. And I'm like, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> Satan never asks you to be nice to somebody. So, Dang it. I just pray that they have hemorrhoids or something. Uh, <laughs> that's probably inappropriate, but we're at a bar, so here we are. And I have to reach out to them, and I have to be nice. How are you doing? Because that's what God calls me to do. He says, there's no room for bitterness in your heart. It's poison to you. Forgiveness and love and grace and mercy is the way of my kingdom. Let me just sum it all up for you. With God, your life isn't safe. He might call you to go somewhere and give your life for the sake of the gospel. Give up your dreams for the sake of the gospel. Friends, if you seek him, this could all happen. I love what C.S. Lewis says in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It's a story about Christianity, but it's kind of a metaphor. In this story, Aslan is a lion, and he represents Jesus. And here's what C.S. Lewis says in one of my favorite lines of the book. It says, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he were a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Friends, God will not always make your life more comfortable. In fact, he will probably make it a lot more uncomfortable. But he is good. And the resurrection demands an answer from us. It doesn't matter what you want because the king has been here. He has shown himself to be who he said he was. And our only response is to accept his grace, to acknowledge our sin, and to follow after him in every area of our life. And I want to close with this. Molly, you can go ahead and come up if you want. I want, to, I want to give you a challenge I've given to a whole bunch of people. I've never had anybody regret this challenge that actually took it. I would ask you to give me one year, from Easter to Easter, where you go all in following God. You show up on Sundays, not because you're trying to earn your salvation or show something to the world. I don't care about that. You come here to remind yourself of who Jesus is and what he's done for you, to hear the word of God, to be with the people of God. And as you hear the word of God, here's what I want you to do. And this is the really scary part. You're going to be imperfect at this, but I want you to do it. I want you to begin to obey Jesus. Follow him to places you didn't even think were possible. Who knows? You might end up on a stage like me. And I have guys who said they would never preach, and they're up here. Why? Because God called them to do it, and they listened and they obeyed. I don't know what God will call you to do, but if you listen to him and you give him a year and you obey him, he will call you to do things that are really scary. And here's what I would ask you to do. Just give me a year. And at the end of the year, if you don't like it, you can just go back to the way you were living. Because here's what comes through Jesus. You can experience salvation. You can find peace. You can know purpose and you can live fulfilled. I believe that with every core of my being. And if you're already experiencing those things, that's awesome. Keep doing what you're doing. But if you're not, you owe it to yourself to at least give him a try. If you're riddled with anxiety, if you're looking for meaning in your life, if you you don't understand why things are happening the way they're happening, then go to the one who claims to give you life and life eternal. And not eternal life that after you die, but right now, an abundant life. 
See, it's, it's kind of like this. Uh, if, if somebody called you and they were like, hey, you had a long lost uncle you didn't know and he left you $10 million. You'd probably think it was a scam because uh, we get about 100 scam calls a day. But here's what I know about you. You would also kind of check it out. Right? Like you might not let your wife see or your friends, but you're like, yeah, that's a scam. What is this all about? <laughs> because the offer's too big to simply ignore. Take $10 million and times it by affinity, and you still haven't even begun to scratch the surface of what Jesus promises for you. The offer is way too big for you to simply ignore. It's way too big for you just to come once or twice a year and call yourself a Christian because everybody else is a Christian. It's way too big for you not to try to find and experience the person of Jesus. And where does Jesus say he's found? He's not at the tomb. He's already where he told them to go. He said, begin to walk and you'll find me. See, what we want is we want Jesus to reveal himself to us before we go. Jesus says, no, you'll find me as you are going. Friends, I want to pray for us. Then we're going to sing to this Savior. If you would, bow your head, close your eyes. Father, thank you that you are not far, but you are near. Thank you, Lord, that if we seek you, we will find you. God, I pray today you're working in the heart of somebody who's been living for themselves. Lord, I pray that they would do what you say to do at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, and that is to repent or turn from yourself and place their faith in you. Not faith just for what happens when they die, but faith for every single day as they listen and obey you in your word. Right now, friends, with your eyes closed, please take about 20 seconds and just say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me through this message? And listen. Father, we thank you for your goodness. Lord, I pray that today you would give hope to the hopeless. You would shine a little bit of light for those who lack clarity so that they could take another step. Lord, and I pray ultimately you'd give us courage and power through your Holy Spirit to obey what you have commanded us. God, I love you and I praise you. Amen. Friends, let's stand and sing to this God. Thanks for tuning in to the Ascent Church podcast. You can check in with us on social media at My Ascent Church. New episodes each week. Thanks. Thanks.